Good morning. Hey, it is a fifth Sunday, which means the kids are staying in with us. And so I thought I would start with the kids. Who had the best Christmas ever? Come on, no enthusiasm. Who had the best Christmas ever? Who, who got exactly what they wanted? Who, got ex- who wants to share that they got exactly what they wanted? It was the best. Oh, I see a, a hand over there. Come on, tell me. What'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? Wii, the video game. The old school Wii video game? I love that. I love it. Somebody else, what'd you get? Anybody get exactly what they wanted? Best Christmas ever. Where are the kids? Who am I? Who am I pointing? Who are you pointing? My mom? Mom, what did you get that was the best Christmas ever? All of my family. They were all home. That's pretty good. Anybody else? There's a kid. What'd you get? 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 I got my mom and dad at the same time. Mom and dad at the same time. That's pretty good. Anybody else? Anybody else have like an okay Christmas, but you didn't get exactly what you want? Anyone? Oh, over here. What did you, do you had something that was, you wanted, but you didn't really get? What, what did you get? What did you not get? This really expensive Lego set, but I did get an other Lego set. You got a cheaper Lego set, but not the best Lego set. <laughs> I feel your pain. I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Let me ask a question about Christmas. How many people here open Christmas presents on Christmas Eve? Let me see by a show of hands. You open Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. If you repent, Jesus will save you too. Do you know that? That is wrong and blasphemous. Uh, how many people open Christmas presents on Christmas morning as God intended? All right, very good, very good. Um, how many people here have to wait to open Christmas presents until dad reads the Christmas story in the Bible? Anybody else? Not too many of you. We are dropping the ball as a church, aren't we? If you've never seen that, people who read the story on Christmas morning, right, you tend to stop reading at verse 20. Um, and the reason why is because kids are barely listening while you're reading the story, right? Dad's reading the story and kids are like, Hopped up, right? They're just, they're twitching because they can see behind you is this pile of shining, shimmering goodness just ready to be open. And dad's reading and dad, come on, dad, we know the story. Finish the story. And then dad closes the Bible and he says, and let me tell you what the true meaning of Christmas is. And they're like, dad, we don't care. Dad, we know we, I mean, we care. We care. Jesus, yes, we care. Good. Can we get on to the presence? And then when you get onto the presence, it's like, chaos. They just, it's on like Donkey Kong. It's like, tally-ho, we're going after those presents. And, and they're just ripping and shredding. And dad is neurotically picking up wrapping paper and throwing it into a 50-gallon bag. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, your Christmas is different than my Christmas, if not, right? So that's how it goes. How many people have to open gifts one at a time? One at a time, one at a time, and you go around the circle, and it takes forever, and after everybody opens their gift, you have to go, ooh, ah, and you have to make the appropriate comment, right? Oh, that's so nice. Oh, you're going to use that. Oh, you're going to love that so much. I don't know why, but in my wife's family, the comment is the same every time. It's, it's so soft. It's so soft. Every time they open something, it's so soft. I, I mock it now. Whenever somebody opens something like a video game, I'm like, it's so soft. It's a KitchenAid mixture. It's just so soft. You're going to love it. Uh, so we have to do that when we go around. How many people here are free-for-all family? Like you just rip open. Nobody's watching. You don't care. Savages. 
That is not the way you do it. Anyway, Christmas is over, and, and, and there's that moment where when all the packages have been opened and there's shrapnel all over, there's boxes and wrapping paper and stuff is stacked up, and somebody in the, in the living room is starting to open up their actual presents or helping mom set up a new iPad or they're, they're reading through the instructions of some new gizmo or doodad or something or other, and you kind of have that moment where you go, Christmas is over. Anybody have that feeling? And you're like, Christmas is over. Some of you are like, thank God Christmas is over. But, 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 uh, but you just have that moment until this happens every so often where you realize that there's one present left that maybe nobody saw. It's sort of underneath some other stuff. And as people are moving things, they're like, look, this never got. Or like in the movie, A Christmas Story. Do you guys know that? Where dad looks and goes, hey, I think I see something over there in the corner. He says to Ralphie, and he goes, why don't you go over there and check it out? And Ralphie goes over to the corner, and he sees a gift, and he unwraps it. And when he gets it open, it's finally the Red Rider BB gun with the compass and the stock. And it's the best Christmas ever. Right? The greatest gift in the history of Christmas. Well, listen, I have one more gift for you this holiday season. And it's from the Spirit of Christmas, the series that we've been doing. One more place where we see the Holy Spirit show up in this Christmas story, basically. And it's basically just a little bit after Christmas. And so I'm calling this What Happens After Christmas this morning. We're going to jump into it this morning and take a look at this in our Spirit of Christmas series. If I, we don't have notes for you this morning, I apologize. It's the holidays. Our staff is on vacation. If you, uh, if you have a Bible, open it to Luke chapter 2. Uh, if you want to follow along on the screens, everything will be on the screen. If you want to take notes, you have to do it old-fashioned with paper and pen. Or you can write in the margins of your Bible if you want to. That's not a sin, I'm told. So, Act 1, here's the story. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are having babies first Christmas. This is first Christmas with the baby. First Christmas with a little kid wandering around with Jesus in the house. And so take a look at what happens immediately following the birth of Jesus. It says, how long? Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, they were named, he was named what? Jesus, the name given him by the angel, even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purification offering, as required by the law of Moses, after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to where? They traveled to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a, what? Boy. He must be, what? Dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord. Either a pair of turtle doves or what? Two young pigeons. Ah, the circumcision. Listen, I am a Dad of girls. I am a girl dad. I've had nothing but girls. I've never been through this. If you have had a boy, I don't know what it sounds terrifying to me. I don't know, I don't know what it's like to be a parent as, as a circumcision is happening. It reminds me of a story. When uh, my kids were quite a bit younger, probably like maybe 8, 10, and 12, we were sitting in Kaiser one day. And we were in the Kaiser doctor's office while we were waiting for somebody's appointment. And all five of us were there. And one of my daughters came across a Reader's Digest. How many people remember Reader's Digest? Yeah. So she came across a Reader's Digest. And it said in the Reader's Digest, it said, The world's funniest jokes. 
And, and she said, Dad, look, it was my daughter, Rebecca. Dad, look, world's funniest jokes. We said, great, great, read it to us. So she read us the world's funniest joke. You guys want to hear it? A priest, a minister, and a rabbi uh, wanted to see who was best at their job, right? And so they, went, they decided that they would test this by going into the woods, finding a bear, and attempting to convert it to their religion. So the priest begins, and he says, when I found my bear, I read to him from the catechism, and I sprinkled him with holy water, and guess what? Next week is his first communion. And they all went, wow, that's impressive. The minister basically said, hey, when I found my bear by the stream, I preached to him God's holy word, and the bear was so mesmerized, I baptized the bear right there. And they went, wow. Just then the rabbi gets wheeled in. He's on a gurney in a full body cast. And he says, you know, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have started with circumcision. Well, we started laughing, Nicole and I, and the kids watching us laugh began to laugh and laugh harder and harder. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of uncontrollable laughter, like too loud for the doctors off and they're laughing. And then we started laughing more because we knew, we knew. And we looked at them and we said, do you know what circumcision is? And they went, no. And then we had to explain circumcision. Luckily, we were in a doctor's office, right? Uh, it's a little awkward. But at the age of eight days, you were, the kids, the boys were circumcised and given their name. Guess up till eight days, they don't even get a name. Infant mortality rate was so much higher in those times, right, that they didn't even give their child their name until the eighth day. And they waited to give it to him. But on the eighth day, they gave him the name Jesus just as the angel had told to both Mary and Joseph, right? And so they went to the temple to do the ceremonial things, the purification rites. Now, this would have been a few weeks after Jesus was born. 40 days is usually the timeline on that. And they had traveled back to Jerusalem, and they came to pay the temple tax of five shekels to buy their son back from God. The firstborn son belonged to God. You had to buy him back. If you, and so the parents would go to the temple, redeem their son. They would bring a sacrifice. In Leviticus, it talks about a, a sacrifice of a lamb and a dove. But just so we understand, this is all like normal stuff that would happen at the temple really every day. People, people were having kids. Kids were were uh, dedicated and, and then brought here to make sacrifices. It's a baby dedication type service, and it happens literally every day at the temple. Now, uh, I mean, every single day this would have happened. We don't do that anymore. We don't do it anymore. When you have your first son, Glenn or I don't show up at your house a few weeks later saying, do you want to buy him back or what? You know, you, wanna, you could pay or you could, or you could give him to us, whatever you want. Like Some of you have teenagers, you're like, please, take him back, okay? Um, I, I know how this works, right? But, but you, you can, we don't do that anymore. We, as parents, dedicating our children, we do that for baby dedications. But the best picture that we have of this is this idea of dedicating ourselves to God is we choose that now. We choose that for ourselves. You have to choose that. You have to choose to dedicate your life to God. You have to choose to dedicate your life to Christ. The best picture that we have of this now is baptism. And in baptism, it's that moment. It's the clearest picture we have that Jesus gave us where we, it's a decision to dedicate the rest of our life to God. Your, your parents don't make that decision for you anymore. You make that decision for yourself. Starting today, I choose to follow Christ and dedicate my life to him. I got to 
fun uh, thing for you this morning. We're going to watch somebody get baptized this morning. If Glenn can hear me. I can. Glenn, can you hear me? Steve, we can always hear you. (laughs) (laughs) So... Well, hey, that's a beautiful thing to talk about that commitment, and that's exactly what's happened in my friend Anthony's life. It's been so great um, to hear his excitement uh, for this decision to be baptized. And, you know, what the Bible says is that when we invite Christ into our life, he comes and he begins to change us. It actually describes us as a new creation. It says the old is gone and the new has come. Um, And then baptism is this powerful symbol of that. Uh, It's being washed washed clean, raised to new life. That happens when we invite Christ into our life, but this is a powerful symbol of what God is doing in Anthony's life. And so I know this is a really meaningful day for him. He's got some of his family and friends here. He's got his church family here. Um, and so, Anthony, step on up here, buddy. Hey, I'm so proud of you for being here. This is cool. And um, Thank you. just tell me, I, I, tell us how you came to know Christ as your Savior. Uh, you know, I think I've always been a believer in Christ. I think it was just uh, recently I've tried to figure out the understanding yeah. and why I was a believer. Yeah. So you've always had that soft heart to God, even as a kid, but just even in recent times, you've not only understood it, but kind of opened your heart up. And you came to me and have been pretty passionate about being baptized, which I love. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So tell us, why, why? Why do you want to be baptized today? Um, well, I've always wanted to be baptized. I think I just uh, I didn't understand why. And um, I didn't. Yeah, we did that one. Yeah. And I was telling Anthony backstage that that's, that's a sign of God's spirit working in us. We love him with our heart, soul, mind. And so that means those emotions are there. And the good news is we're going to wash those tears away in just a second. They're going to just be all underwater. So you're going to be all wet. So don't even worry about it. So. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I wanted to know, to know what it meant to be a true believer in Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, that's perfect. We're with you, buddy. So, Anthony, you're saying today that Christ has forgiven your sins, that you are a new creation in him, and you're telling these people here today that you want to follow him all the days of your life. I do. Is that what you're saying? And you're ready to receive that here in front of, uh, in front of God and in front of these people. So, Anthony, based on that testimony of faith, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yeah! Yeah! God, I just thank you so much for Anthony. I thank you, Lord, for the emotion that we see and we feel, Father, because you change us. You change our hearts. You change our minds. You change our emotions. So thank you that you're doing that in Anthony's life. And I pray for him. Bless him and lead him. Thank you for where you've brought him this far and, God, where you're going to bring him in the year ahead and for the years ahead. So thank you for him. Bless and lead him. Thank you for his family. Thank you for his church family. And, Lord, I just pray that you would go before him and use him in great ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you appreciate Amen. our friend? Way to go, Anthony. Good job, Good job. Baptism is that moment where new life comes in, right? But, but guess what? Just like Glenn was saying, you got to choose that, and then you got to choose daily to follow after Christ the rest of your life. That's what it means to do that, right? You have to live it out every single day. And even at the beginning, right now, we think, oh, it feels good, but... 
the attack is on for Anthony. And, and, and we're going to see that it requires a sacrifice uh, to, to do that. And, and we see that in the story here, right? Mary and Joseph, they don't bring a lamb and a dove like it says in Leviticus. They actually bring two doves, right? They bring two doves. Why? Well, the law stipulates if you don't have enough money for a lamb, you can just offer the two doves. So not only was Jesus born in a manger, uh, in a barn. Mary and Joseph didn't have enough money to even give their son, Jesus, who would be the Messiah, a proper sacrifice for their son. You want to know why? Because they was po. You know what I'm talking about? They couldn't even afford the last two letters. They were that kind of po. They were poor, right? And so we, we see that. Jesus, when Jesus gives us instructions in the Bible where we are supposed to do things and take care of the least of these, trust me, Jesus knew. Jesus knew what that meant. They weren't wealthy. They were middle class at best, probably lower middle class. And at the end of the day, they couldn't afford, they couldn't afford the proper sacrifice. So Jesus says, the least of these, I know what that's about. And that's why he says we are to take care of the least of these. But Mary and Joseph run into a couple of ordinary people, uh, average people in, in this average everyday visit to the temple. And so we're going to take a look at this. The first guy they run into is a guy by the name of Simeon. So act two, Simeon has been waiting for Christmas. He has been waiting for Christmas a very long time. So let's take a look at it. Starting in verse 25, it says this. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named, what's his name? Simeon. Simeon, he was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for what? The Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Now, who the... The Holy Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit showing up in the story, the spirit of Christmas was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And on that day, who? The Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying this, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your what? Salvation. Which you have prepared for who? You have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people Israel. This guy Simeon's been waiting for this Christmas his whole life. Um, for the time when God would finally send his son, the Messiah, to redeem his people. Just waiting every day, every day getting up, waiting for the Messiah. The Holy Spirit was upon him, it says. And the Holy Spirit had made it known to him that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Messiah. And on this particular day, the Spirit leads him to the temple. And he enters this day, probably like he had so many other days waiting for a baby to show up that would be the Messiah. But this was the day he had waited for his whole life. Rembrandt uh, painted a picture of this scene here. And, And you can imagine Simeon waiting there and then finally seeing this baby. Now, parents, any parents with me here this morning? What do you do if a weird old guy asks to hold your baby and says, oh, let me hold the baby, let me hold the baby, let me hold the baby. You stay clear of the weird old guy, okay? But in this particular moment, Simeon's that guy. He's like, this is the baby. This, let me hold the baby, let me hold the baby. And then he says, okay, now I can die. It would be cool if he just dropped dead, but uh, I, I, maybe not, okay. Uh, I just, this is a weird picture to me. He's finally holding this baby, the one that he's waited for his whole life. Get this, this is just an average day at the temple. 
This happened every day at the temple. They would dedicate children every day at the temple. This may be a Thursday. Who knows? Nobody knows. But maybe it's just a Thursday. And on this average day, Simeon, who's been waiting for this thing for his whole life, is finally holding the Messiah, the baby that was promised, and that the Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. And this is interesting. The, the, the type of language that's used is called the present active indicative. And what that means is this. It means the significance of this statement, the Holy Spirit was upon him, is like the Holy Spirit comes upon us at a certain moment or for a certain assignment or for a certain season, right, to fulfill a divine moment that's going to set in motion what the will of God is for your life. This guy's whole life, the Holy Spirit was upon him for one reason and one reason only, that he might see and recognize the Messiah. And and he's holding him in his arms. I mean, what would it mean for the Holy Spirit to come upon you? And have you ever had this experience where you think, this thing that I've been waiting for, this thing that I've been praying about, this thing that I thought might never happen, it's happening right now. It's happening right now. You're almost having an out-of-body experience. Like, I can't believe it's happening right now. That's what Simeon is having happen. I can't believe this is it. He's here. The one that I've been waiting for, right? And, and everything has been leading up to this moment for him. It's all happening right now. Because this wasn't an earth-shattering day. Like I said, maybe it was a Thursday and the Holy Spirit, all the Holy Spirit did this morning was he whispered into Simeon's ear, get up and go to the temple. He maybe had done that lots of other times, but this morning it's the Spirit saying, go to the temple. And that's all Simeon did was all he did was get up and go to the temple. He didn't know what was waiting for him there, right? And he was available. That's the word I would get for you. Boy, if you want to write something in your margin, right? Simeon was available, He was available to God because God had prompted him to do this thing. He was at the right place at the right time because the Holy Spirit had whispered that in his ear. There's this holy sense of I'm supposed to go here right now. Or or a holy sense that says I'm supposed to be obedient to this right now. I don't even know why, but I know it's the Spirit whispering in my ear. The question is, are we available to the Holy Spirit and listening? What would it look like if the Holy Spirit whispered a truth into your ear and you actually believed it? And you acted on it. What would that look like? That, that the Holy Spirit whispers truth into our ears. It, 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 John chapter 16, it says it this way. It says, when the spirit of what? The spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into what? All truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the... That's what he told Simeon. You're not going to die until you hold this baby in your arms. And so he will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Can you imagine to hear something and to believe it? What would it be, what would it be like to be one of the first people ever to scoop up and hold Jesus in your arms? He's holding Jesus in his arms. The future Messiah, th- this guy is going to make the lame walk. He's going to He's going to make the blind see. He's going, to, he's going to calm the storm. He's going to walk on water. He's going to raise people from the dead. And he's holding him in his arms. And he's going to dedicate him to the Lord. Now, I don't know how he dedicated him to the Lord. I sort of wonder if it's a little bit like, like uh, holding up Simba and the Lion King, right? We should do baby dedications like that around here, don't you think? Glenn holding up? Never mind. But he, de- he gets to dedicate Jesus at, I mean, this is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And then he gives mama the news. 
Get the news. I can't imagine going from that moment to this. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon, what did he do? He blessed them. But then he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to what? Uh Uh-oh. And many others to rise. Well, that sounds good. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will... That doesn't sound good either. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will what? Pierce your very soul. I want you to imagine Mary getting that news at the baby dedication. You know? Uh, Hold on a second. What did you say? A a sword is going to do what? Pierce what? Is that my soul? And this would be the first inkling that they're going to get of what Jesus is going to have to endure and what he is going to go through uh, in this everyday life, this baby Messiah. But the story's not over. Let's look at Act 3 and somebody by the name of Anna. Anna uh, has an unexpected Christmas. Anna was not expecting this probably on this day at the temple. And so let's take a look at what happened to her in verse 36. It says, Anna, who was a what? She was a prophet, was also there in the temple, and she was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very what? Oh, come on, people, say it like you mean it. How, what was she? Old. Her husband died when they had been married only how long? Seven years. Then she lived as a widow until the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with what? Fasting and prayer every day. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began what? She started praising God. She basically talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So Anna's an old lady at this time. Uh, she, and it says she literally never left the temple fasting and praying. She spent her whole life there. Now, in that day and time, getting married at about age 15 would be about normal. So if she got married at 15 and was married for seven years before her husband died, how old was she when, she got, when her husband died? Okay, this is not a math quiz, people. Come on, you can do it. 22, like Taylor Swift said, 22. Uh, and so she's 22 years old. She's 84 now. How many people can do the math? How long has she been a widow? 62 years, 62 years getting up every day and going to the temple and fasting and praying. And it lists her as a, as a prophet. And so she spent every day at the temple. And to her, this is just like any other day, right? Absolutely nothing special about today. I was here fasting and praying yesterday. I'll be here fasting and praying tomorrow. And this young woman and her husband enter with a baby and Simeon freaks out. This is the baby. This is the one. This is the one I've been waiting for my whole life. This is the one, the promised Messiah, the one who is going to set us free. And Anna, in this unexpected moment, begins to worship. In fact, the response of both Simeon and Anna is that they worshiped for Christmas. They worshiped for Christmas. It says in in Luke 2.28, Simeon's response was, Simeon was there, he took the child in his arms, and what? He praised God, saying, and, and then we see Anna's response was the same in chapter 2, verse 38. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began what? Praising God. She began to worship. The natural response to the message of Christmas, that the Messiah has finally come, is to worship God. And the question is, is that our first response this time of year? 
immediately after Christmas. Christmas is over. How many people here, I don't know if anybody else is like me, when Christmas is over, I tolerate winter until Christmas, right? It's cold, it's, it's overcast outside, it gets dark at 2.30 in the afternoon, and I, and I tolerate winter because Christmas is coming. And when Christmas is coming, I just go, oh, what's the point? I just, give me spring. I, I can't, I gotta stop playing pickleball at 4.30, you know, uh, uh, give, me, give me something. Like, I just tolerate this time of year instead of worshiping. And the response to Christmas should be that we live a life of worship, that we are so thankful for what God has done for us in our lives. And sometimes we worship because we feel like it. Sometimes we worship because we had best Christmas ever. I got the big Lego set, right? It's the best Christmas ever. And, and, and you're genuinely optimistic about the new year, 2024, and you're like, this is great, and I'm, it's easy to worship God and to thank him for, for what he's done, right? Sometimes we worship because life is good. Let me tell you something. Parents, where are my parents at? Parents, you have one week left of school break here. One week left of school break. And when you hear your kids who have been hopped up on sugar and they've been given new presents and they are running around the house like mad wild children and they're laughing and screaming and breaking things let me tell you something uh you should thank god for them because there will come a time when those kids are not running around your house and you will miss that someday your house is going to be quiet and you will you're going to miss those sounds would you give god praise for the gift of children worship them men any other men like me, you're driving around, you're running errands at Christmas time or after Christmas, and you're driving around, and as you're making a, as you're making a turn, you, you look over and you glance, and your wife is sitting next to you, and the thought comes over you that you think to yourself, I married way up. You know what I mean? Like, you look at your wife, and you're like, there's no way she should be with an idiot like me. Right? I'm not trying to win points. Back off. But you think to yourself, I am so grateful that God gave me this. And I worship God because it, this is a gift. I didn't earn it. And, and you think, God, thank you for, for blessing me with that. But the truth is, I mean, we just need to thank God for the good things in our life. We need to be thankful that God showered his grace on us. Thankful for your family. Thankful for your kids, for your spouse, I'm thankful I have a job that I get up in the morning and I think this is important I need to do this. I, I, it's even the smaller things. You should be thankful for the roof over your head and even the windows that are single pane and letting the cold in. You know what I mean? Like I am thankful that I have a warm blanket on my bed at night. I'm thankful that I can afford the, the heating bill. I'm, I'm thankful. I'm really thankful for leftovers in the refrigerator after Christmas. And I'm thankful for, for food in my pantry because I know there are so many out there that don't have that. Because here's the truth, and this is honestly the truth. Sometimes we don't feel like worshiping. We don't feel like it. Um, because especially during the holidays, especially during the holidays, this is a brutal time for people that are suffering. If you've got brokenness in your family, if you've lost a job or lost someone you love, um, it is a, you got health issues, it is a 
difficult time to worship God, and those are the times that we desperately need to worship God. I came across this story uh, a few years ago. A guy by the name of Gene Apple was a pastor. He's a pastor down in Southern California, um, but he was a pastor in Las Vegas of a big, thriving church that was growing, and, and it was taking off and doing great. And he came home one Sunday night, literally came home from dedicating a brand new building that they had just built for their church. And he came home this Sunday night after dedicating this building, and his wife walked up to him and said, I'm leaving you for someone I met at work. He went from the very top to the very bottom in an instant like that. And Gene Apple writes this. He said, I will never forget my first Christmas after the divorce. He said, after our candlelight Christmas Eve services at church, I intended to grab something to eat at a drive-thru, take it home, do some laundry, and pack for an early morning flight back to the Midwest to celebrate Christmas with my family. He said, I got away from the church at about 9.30 p.m., and I was starving. An early afternoon sandwich was all he had had to get him through the day. And he said, I started driving around, and it was an unusually cold and windy night, and absolutely nothing was open. Every fast food restaurant was closed. He thought to himself, I'll stop by the deli at Smith's supermarket. They're open 24 hours. I'll get something there. But even Smith's was closed. He said, I've never seen Las Vegas, the city that never sleeps, so quiet. Nobody was on the street. It was like a ghost town. And he said, as I drove, I began to imagine that everybody was at home celebrating Christmas Eve with this family except me. And he said, by the time I... By the time I was, I was starting to get depressed and I was hungry and I was alone and it was Christmas Eve and I began to remember that Christmas Eve was always the time that we celebrated Christmas at my house but there was absolutely nothing to eat at my house and I was determined to go get something to eat. He said, finally, I went out to a country western themed casino that has four restaurants in it called Sam's Town and he said, to my surprise, it was hopping. You know, uh, I walked into their 50 Styles Diner, sat down at a table, and ordered dinner. And he said, it was like a bad dream. I sat there eating the blue plate special. And he says, I can't believe it. I just spoke to over 2,200 people, and here I am at Sam's Town on Christmas Eve eating meatloaf and mashed potatoes and gravy all alone. And he said, I didn't think it could get any worse until somebody dropped a quarter in the jukebox and Elvis started singing, Are you lonesome tonight? <laughs> you got to be kidding me, right? He said, for a few moments I had this thought that I had some of the loneliest feelings uh, of my life. And as I walked through my, the casino on my way out, I looked at all the people playing the slot machines and table games on Christmas Eve, and I thought, they don't have anywhere else to go either. They don't have anyone to be with tonight either. And he tells the story in his book of how he went home that night, and he went to his empty house, and he walked through the door, and he did his laundry, and he packed his bags, and he walked into an empty bedroom, and he climbed into an empty bed, and you know what he did at that moment? He sang himself to sleep. He worshiped. And do you know what he sang? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. 
little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Curled up in a ball. He worshiped because that's all he had. That's all he had. Sometimes you have to worship not because you want to, but because you have to. It's all you've got. You have to worship. It's the only way you're going to make it through. Sometimes just to make it through, you have to worship. And God will meet you there, and he will give you his strength. And if you're here today and you had that kind of Christmas, I want to tell you something. You don't have to do it alone. You are not alone. We are going to finish this year and start a new year with communion. And that's a funny word, communion, because communion implies that we do it in community. We, we take these elements, the bread and the cup, and we do it together. We, we take the Lord's Supper together because you are not alone. There is a church family here that wants to embrace you and surround you. We worship Remembering that this baby at Christmas is going to become a savior who will give his life willingly on the cross for you and I. And that's what ties us together as a family. And so in just a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to go to, we have four stations set up around the auditorium in the corner here, over in the corner here, a couple in the back. And you're going to move around and you're going to wander to one of them and you're going to take the communion, and it's going to be chaos in here because that's what chaos, your Christmas was chaos, wasn't it? It's going to feel like chaos, but it's the kind of chaos where a church family together remembers the, the Christ that grew up from a baby and became a man and gave his life for each of us that he might tie us together as a family. And guess what? We're one big dysfunctional family. We are figuring it out along the way, but I want to invite you into it. And listen, if you came alone today, do not take communion alone. Let some, if you came with someone else and you see someone alone, you grab them and you take them and you take them with you to go take communion this morning because we are going to celebrate communion like a family as we remember Christ's body and blood that was given for us. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians 11. It says, On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. I'm going to pray, and then I would invite you to come take communion in one of our stations. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, would you take it with someone that you came with? Or if you came alone, find someone to take it with as you get grafted into his family. Father God, I thank you for the elements and what they represent, that Jesus, this Christ child that we see in the Christmas story so clearly grew up and was dedicated and prayed over and lived a, a life where he grew in wisdom and knowledge and stature and favor with God and favor with others, God. And he, he became this man that would willingly give his, his body and his blood for us, Father. God, I pray that as we take it together as a church family, you would remind us that you have knit us together as a family, God, and you want us to do this Christian life together, not alone. So we take communion remembering you and your sacrifice, but also remembering that we are tied to each other. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All of that leads me to... So you didn't think you were getting out of here without a so what, did you? The response to Christmas is worship.
Then the resp- what is worship? Well, like, what is, is it just singing? Is it, is it just I got to be able to sing like these guys? Some of you are like, it's, it's not that. Some of you are like, praise God, Steve, you haven't heard me sing, right? But, but the, some of the worship that comes out of here that is off key is my favorite worship in the whole world. But, but to be honest with you, um, worship is everything. It's everything we do. It's everything we are. It's every part of our life. In fact, I want to read you this quick verse. This is out of the message paraphrase, and it's from Romans 12, 1, and it talks about what real worship is. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your what? Your everyday what? Your ordinary life. Your what? And what else? And what else? And... And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to this whacked out culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention where? On God. So that's what we're going to do. In fact, sit down for just a second. Glenn and I are going to tell you this coming year, we are really excited to roll out something new for you. Because worship, worshiping God leads naturally to something that we call discipleship. And it's that. It's your everyday, ordinary life that you are going to engage this faith walk every single day. Worship isn't someplace you go. It isn't a time at 8.30 or 11 o'clock. Worship is something you do with your whole heart, and it leads to discipleship. And so we're going to talk about that this year as we engage on something we're calling follow. And, and follow is composed of three components. Glenn, tell them about what this year is going to look like. Yeah, so we are super excited about our theme for 2024, and it actually begins tomorrow on January 1st. So follow is really Jesus' invitation uh, to come and follow after him as a disciple, and we are going to dig into that throughout the year. And we're going to look at it in kind of three main components. First, we're going to look at it as, uh, first of all, um, be, being with Jesus, really spending time. How do you become a follower of Jesus unless you spend time with him? And that was the first invitation that Jesus gave. But then he also calls us to become like him, to not just kind of change our life a little bit or work off a few little things, but to become a brand new creation in him, to to have our character replaced with Christ-like character. That's going to be one of the more challenging things, but it's one of the best things. And then ultimately you be with Jesus to become like Jesus so that you can do the things that Jesus did. And throughout the year, we're going to be looking at those three components, starting from the first 90 days with this idea of being with Jesus. In fact, what that's going to look like to begin with literally tomorrow morning is we have a 90-day reading plan that will take you through the Gospels so that we dive deep into the life of Jesus. We're going to be with Jesus through his word, but we're also going to be with Jesus sort of literally and figuratively in looking at his life. And so we have a guide here for you. If you are a paper person, we have a guide for the first 30 days that's out there. You can pick this up. There's some questions that you fill out every day as you read along with the various days readings. And it's a chronological walk through the gospel. So we'll, it's really the first week you said is mostly about Christmas. Yes. Yeah. So, so you're so going to read a little bit each week yep. or a little bit each day. Some will be from, you know, the different gospels and it'll take you through kind of the chronology of Jesus's life. And these 90 days will actually bring us right up until Easter. So we are going to take the time between now and Easter to spend time with Jesus, to fall in love with him, to let his words wash over us, to see the amazing things that he's done, to be with Jesus. And, and this is a bite-sized reading plan. This isn't going to take over your life. It's, it's about, in fact, let's look at the, you can do this also through the FBC app. If you do not have the FBC app, you should go to the Play Store, Google Play Store, or Apple Store and download it. And this reading plan is literally right in our app. If you go to the homepage on our app over there on the left-hand side, you see at the bottom, it's circled, it says Bible. If you click Bible, you'll 
it'll, it'll pull up a Bible here, Genesis 1. If you click plan right there next to Genesis 1, it'll take you to our reading plan. And those are the first four verse, or first three sections for tomorrow. You click on that, Luke 1 through 4, four verses. John 1, 1 through 18, that's uh, 18 verses. Matthew 1 through 17 is 17 more verses, and you're done. In fact, somebody just uh, after first service texted me. At the bottom of that last one right there where it pulls up those passages is a little play button. If you are a listener, you can literally just hit play and listen to it on your way to work or school or whatever you do and keep up with the reading plan uh, that we have outlined for us this year. Yeah. So anyway, so those first 90 days, uh, we really just double dog dare you to spend the time each day. Triple dog. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. I know, yeah. It's a big deal. <laughs> so um, each day there's a few just kind of review questions just to kind of help uh, bring some application into our life. And then let me just tell you one other thing that we're starting next Sunday is as a church, as we read through these things, it's going to raise some questions. It's going to say, wow, I didn't know Jesus said that or did that. Or there's going to be something you read that is so exciting that you want to share it with someone else. So each Sunday during what we call our Sunday school hour, so from 945 to 1045, right in here, we have a group of our elders. They're going to be leading like a discussion of, of the reading for that week. So all the other regular classes will be going on. You don't need to leave your class. But if you're looking for a place to ask questions, dig a little deeper, maybe meet some people right in here every Sunday, um, our elders are going to be leading that class starting next Sunday. Yeah. So we are looking forward to diving into following Jesus deeper. The, the result of worship is that you become a disciple and that you follow him with your whole heart and every part of your everyday life. And so I'm going to send you guys out and pray for you this morning. But my prayer is that we turn worship into discipleship and discipleship turns into fruit and good things that God is doing in our world. God, would you just take this message of Simeon and Anna, God, this, this Christmas story that, that we've lived so deeply for the last month or so, God, and would you turn it into a life of worship, that we might worship you when we're on top of the world, that we might worship you when we're down at the bottom, but it might lead us into a life of discipleship where we are following after you. We are being with you, Jesus. We are becoming more like you, Jesus. And then we are going to do the things that you did because we're becoming like you. Father God, would you take us from this place? Let us live lives of worship and discipleship from here. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.